a listener production. Just like three pesty flies stuck to your radiator, Greg Russ, Jane Jacobson and Jeff Willem with you. This is The Grill. We are not far away from our very first birthday. We'll have some news on that next month. Very excited. Coming up in this edition, though, the driverless car pulled over in the United States. No one at the wheel. That's an interesting story. And we'll take a look at the world's longest surviving models as well. Cars, I'm talking, not Shane's and my attempt at getting on the front cover of Vogue. Uh, Jeff's going to take a deep dive into VFAX. Uh, those numbers from April are fresh off the fax machine. Our Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce guest is Paul Beck. And our feature interview is funny man Tim McDonald. And you may have seen him on... Have you been paying attention on Channel 10 more recently, The Cheap Seats? He also has a very successful Formula One vodcast that takes a bit of a left turn on GP racing and has some hilarious insights. You will enjoy that, I promise. Plus, your mail in the glove box. One listener wants to know if they'll be in a movie with Shane. As Barry Sheen used to say, yeah, what second prize then? Uh, That's for our listener I'm referring. Speaking of the great man, here he is right now. And uh, you have been busy, sir, haven't you? Yes, mate. Someone woke the world up. Uh, Planes are flying again and uh, and I'm in them. Um, So (laughs) you have... I know I've you know been in Tassie, the uh, Sunshine Coast. I'm back in Tassie in a couple of days. I'd like to come back because uh, well, I'm actually back here for an event for the VACC tonight. So um, yeah, it's rip back to Melbourne, but yeah, back on a plane tomorrow. So uh, yeah, it, it's good to be busy again. You know we. We did a lot of whinging during COVID, so uh, I can't complain about being busy, mate. Great stuff, mate. Full gas. Keep at it. Now, as we record this, the federal election is almost upon us, and we had the PM come to the fabulous new VACC building and crack the champagne over the bow recently. Um, Jeff, do you reckon the polls are right? Who Who is going to win this race? And, and if you're right, is it good for the auto industry? What do you reckon? Greg, we've made it very clear to both sides of government what we want out of a new government. Uh, what people are telling me, if you listen to people in Canberra, is a third of the electorate don't know who they're going to vote for today and they won't know until a day or two out from the election. So anything that people wow. see in the press or the media or walking up to the booth, it's going to have a huge influence on how people vote and what the outcome is going to be this year. Sorry from me. That was a bit of a heavy way to start too. I'll we'll be back later uh, with some some hard-hitting current affairs when beardscaping goes bad and how to budget for that resto project that you can't quite get past the Ministry of Finance. That's later. But first, time for a little segment that Shane drives called Cop This. This is based on uh, a conversation uh, I was having with some people recently and Rusty, Jeff, we all get asked this all the time. What do you think's the best car? What's your favourite car? You know, and we get asked that ad, ad nauseum, which is wonderful. Um, but the, but the truth is, I, I have my answers that I've like an EH Holden and all the stuff we've heard me discuss on the grill before. But there is the effigy, the Holden effigy um, that that some people may know. And if you don't know, Google it now. It's this purple thing of beauty, um, and it is it is just the most amazing-looking car ever to exist. But there's only one of them. It was built by the Holden workers uh, in, in, in Melbourne. Um, Holden kind of allowed it to be built, if you will. It wasn't a Holden project. It was done by its staff, and Holden said, look, you can use the tooling. You can do it in your own time. They built this car. It runs, right? It actually runs. You can get in it, start it, and it drives, and it went to Detroit, and it won the, the, the Design Award, the World Design Award, right? 
built in the spare time by Holden employees. So anyway, this the, the, the cop this was, we wanted to do a story on it because this is where it came from. One of, one of the friends said, oh, is that the thing you had on Top Gear? And I said, yes. And I had to, and they said, oh, right, so you can drive these things. They're out there. And that's when I had to explain, no, there's only one. And they said, right, but it's registered. And I had to go, no, it's not actually. <laughs> so we, we did it on Top Gear because I was so desperate to have it on the show. But th- this is what we had to do. So we said to the, the producers, we want it on the show. Contact Holden. So there was that chat. You can imagine that. These three idiots on Top Gear Australia want to drive <laughs> your one-off car. And then so there was lots of conversations and then they said, well, it can't be driven on the road because it can't be registered. You know, we haven't crashed one into a wall to get its rating and all the things you have to do to allow that on roads. So we, we did a story where we were driving it on roads, which we got a lot of letters about actually because people couldn't figure out how we did it. We had to block the roads off. So we had to have people with stop-go signs and block all the roads off in Williamstown for a moment so we could have it drive down the road. But we had to insure it. And this was the, this was the moment one of the producers said to me, do, you, do we really have to have this? Is there any other car? And I said, no, 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 it has to be on our show. It has to be on our show. It won, it won the World Design Award. This should be on Top Gear Australia. And he said, all right, because no one in Australia will insure it, uh, we've got, one, we've, got <laughs> we've got no no one in Australia, but they'll they'll insure it out of England. Um, oh. Now this is not what we had to pay, but this was the amount we had to insure it for for four hours. Right? It was twenty five million dollars <laughs> because oh. if we because if we crashed it, they couldn't make another one. So um, yeah. So that was when the uh, producer said to me, "Cop this." We've got to insure it for $25 million. <laughs> I said, well, to insure something for $25 million, it doesn't cost $25 million, but the premium was massive and they, they reminded me of that for two years. Every time I said, can we do this? They said, no, because we spent that money on that bloody effigy insurance. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where, where's the car now, Shane? Holden still have it. It's uh, I, sh- I should tell you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna text by the time we get to the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you the great revelation in this edition of Cop This is that our friend who wears so many hats and is always so busy has not started Shane Jacobson Insurance. How can I help you in the wake wake of this? Someone someone the other day made a joke about my expense that I went to get health insurance and they'd only cover me for fire and theft. Love getting out on the open road like I do? With Bendix brakes, you can put your foot down with confidence. From tailored disc brake pads, shoes and rotors to cleaners and lubricants, the Bendix range is trusted by top mechanics and drivers right across Australia. Whatever you're after, Bendix has the solution to keep your brakes running smoother and safer for longer. Don't just ask for brakes. Ask for Bendix. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Speaking of brakes, hey, Rusty, it's time for breaking news. Yes, that's right. Time for a little whip around of things that put our attention <laughs> in the world of cars, bikes and that vortex that keeps sucking us in called the interweb. Uh, what about the driverless car that was pulled over in the United States? So this happened in San Francisco. The cops there stopped an autonomous vehicle that's being operated by crews who are backed by GM nobody inside to quote the police ain't nobody in there uh, <laughs> uh welcome welcome to the future now Cruz actually started this ride hailing uh service trial back in 2015 but they did have at that stage backup drivers in the cars they went and start started uh pushing ahead with with these driverless examples in late 2021 i think it was <laughs> 
the car did the right thing. It pulled over into a safe location, <laughs> even though there was nobody driving it. When and the are you then going to say it also did the second right thing was to drive straight off? <laughs> <laughs> I, agree. I, lo- I love autonomy. And when you look at cities like Melbourne, you're sitting there at the traffic lights. We can't coordinate two sets of traffic lights. Level five autonomy, level four autonomy, probably not. The car will have the autonomy. I don't think you'll be using it. Hey, obviously Target Tasmania is um, something that you've been involved in quite closely, um, you, you know, over time. Yeah. And you you were there again recently, weren't you? Yeah, mate. Um, obviously, for, the, for those that don't know, I shouldn't say obviously, we, we lost another fellow uh, motorsport um, participator, for the want of better terms, a, a colleague, um, which is nothing short of tragic. Um, and we're sending our love to his family too and loved ones. So, yeah, it was um, – it was terrible, obviously, because we go there to do what we love doing. Um, and, you know, I think Target Target do a great job of providing, well, I know they do a great job of providing an event um, where you get to drive incredible roads in Tasmania and high country events. And, and we go and do what we love doing. And, and, uh, and, and you know, for that, I love the event. But, it, it, you know, it was hard. But the truth is this year I didn't race. So, um, so I actually went in the tour. Um, so last year I raced. Um, but this year, I actually took my wife. Um, believe it or not, the, the I always, when I participate in motorsport, I tend to head away from home um, to do it to do it with my mates. But the truth is, you know, my wife is my best mate, best mate, Felicity. So this year, um, Mark Perry and the gang at Targa actually said, "Look, you know, you don't want to race." I'll be honest. My wife um, last year um, at the event, she was pretty shook up with the events of last year, where we lost lost three fellow friends as well, motoring, motoring friends. And so she she didn't feel as comfortable about me doing it racing. So I actually went there this year with her and we did the touring event, which is a lot slower. So, you know, you, you capped at 120. So Fliss got in the passenger seat. Uh, the event provided me with a BMW 330i. I went off with with a, with a touring group um, with a bunch of bunch of Porsches and we had, a, we had a great time. So the truth is, um, you know, for those that think what is the future of Targa, well, I, I, you know, potentially I think the future of Targa is what I just did, um, which is I actually went with my wife and we didn't have to get up that early and we had breakfast together and we got in a car without helmets and, you know, five-point harnesses so it wasn't as terrifying and, and we drove roads at speed. Not, I keep calling it a holiday at speed. Um, at the start, there's no doubt about it, the first first few stages my wife thought it felt too quick for her and she found it a little bit unsettling because I just don't go fast with my wife in a car. We've got children in the car most of the time and it's not a thing. But, mate, we, we had an absolute ball. By the end of the day, Fliss said, I loved that and she would and will come back and do it again. But there's there's another thing that they've actually announced. They actually People will probably think it's a knee-jerk reaction to the tragic events of this year and last year at Targa in Tassie in particular. But they've got a thing called Targa Life, which they actually announced in um, in the in the papers only a few weeks ago uh, in the in the Fin Review. And they've got this thing, which is a new event, which is at signposted speeds. So it's an even slower version of of Targa touring. And it is getting up a little bit later, going for a drive, going to a winery, having a glass of wine, maybe a short drive somewhere else, and you end up at another amazing place where you can have a few more wines for dinner. And, and so that I think that is the future of Targa. This year, just know there was 500 cars at Targa Tasmania, of which 320 of them were in touring. So the truth is the balance is actually shifting to driving slower in nicer cars on beautiful roads and enjoying the area. It's a great tourism thing. So I've had a, a lot of people this week um, obviously ring me to see how I was because it's not, not great to be part of a, an event where, where, that, where, where you lose a life. 
um, of someone of a, of a like-minded motoring enthusiast. Um, it's terrible, but you know the question was: Do I? Do I? Well, they asked me, do I think this is the end of Targa? And no, I think what it is and what Targa can offer in these touring and Targa life events, um, I think that's a that's a huge part of their business, if I'm allowed to call it a business. That's what we love doing, but it is a business. So, look, um, I, I, I did have a great time. Obviously, um, you know, it's going to take a while to to kind of shake off those feelings of, of being involved in an event where that sort of stuff happens. But the future of Targa and where it's going, I'm very excited by because now... I'm less about the racing for those events and more about going away with my wife. And she literally, after you know, in that morning she went, well, this is a bit quick, and by the end of the day she's saying, you know what, I think we could bring some of, she's got some friends that she thinks she'd like to bring along. So there's there's probably eight or ten more people out of our friendship group that she thinks she will involve um, in a motoring event because I'm doing it slower. So it's so interesting that, that when I'm, when I think about the fact that the future of it is something that, in fact, might attract more people to to enjoying the things that we love, um, which is driving great roads um, and at signposted speeds where you don't need to have a helmet on. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I, I think the future of Otago is, is going to be interesting and, and, dare I say it, watch this space. We move now to some cars that are disappearing from our roads and by that, I don't necessarily mean brands. I'm talking the types of cars, the demise of the two-door estate. What about the great – what about the shooting brake? What's happened to the shooting brake? <laughs> three-door roadsters you can add in there and then there's also – and then what, the three-door coupes or the three-seat coupes, I should say. Hey? Who's ordering – some of these, uh, there's kind of a reason they're going on. <laughs> who's, who's bringing up a local motoring dealer now and going, you wouldn't have a three-seater, would you? Like who's, <laughs> who's making that call? <laughs> I still do love that McLaren F1 though. What a classic piece that yes. is. That was a um, when they came with that, out with that. That was amazing. Uh, can we talk movies for a moment? And the great Clint Eastwood. Oh. Um, there, there was a yarn floating around about um, the good, the bad, and the ugly in the Clint Eastwood uh, car collection. When you look at it, there is not many in the way of ugly or bad. He had a. Uh, Ferrari 365 Berlinetta Boxer, um, Gran Torino Sport. Which was which the uh, Gran Torino was the one from the film from memory, wasn't it? He actually purchased the car from Gran Torino for, that was in the film, didn't he? Correct, after the film wrapped up. So I, I love how he's kept that connection to, to mm. some of those things. There's an Austin Healey, Pontiac Trans Am. There are some cool cars that have uh, graced the garage of, uh, of none other than Clint Eastwood over time. I was going to say, he was a mate of Burt Reynolds and – he wanted obviously the the smoke in the bandit kind of reference. I think. And is that the article? I think I, I read it, which was um, that coincidentally, Burt Reynolds and him both got fired from the studio from the same day. For for a while, there, Clint Eastwood got fired from the studios because um, they said he talks too slow and he can't act. Well, mm. I think he proved them wrong. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. Survivors. What about the world's longest living car models? And there are some unbelievable examples here. So Peugeot 205 went from 1983 to 1998, 15 years. Mercedes-Benz SL for 18 years. The Model T, the Model T Ford for 19 years. Suzuki Jimny for 20. And there's been a few like the Fiat Panda and um, Morris Minor that, that went for 23 years. They had unbelievable chapters, didn't they? Greg, look at that panda, the Fiat Panda, when that first came out. I've got to say, <laughs> it is an hor- it's a horrible-looking thing. It reminded me of the UK. You know, we used to call the cop cars pandas. And the only reason is, is they had a white door. And what I can't understand is the rest of the car was blue. 
How do you get a blue and white car? And- <laughs> do, you reckon, do you reckon they misunderstood in the paint shop when they said two-tone? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to dive in, Jeff, with Morris Miners because you effectively, not even winter in the UK could kill those things, could they? I had a Morris Miner and I'm telling you now, if you were out in the snow and the, the motor, you could get out there, put the crank through the front grill and pull that car over. They, <laughs> you can't kill Morris Miners. Actually, you know what? When you say crank them over, my dad could. My This is a true story. Um, my dad in, in his early days, uh, he had an older brother that had a car which which literally had to crank over to get it going. Um, these were the days, of course, when there were no breathos. And my mum was, at, was one of the first dates my mum went on with my father. And the story is, which mum has retold, that he'd had a few and then it was time to take her home and he grabbed the crank handle, went round the front, shoved it in, gave it three or four turns um, and then got back in the car and couldn't figure out why his feet were wet and why the car wouldn't start. He'd just driven it straight through the coil of the radio. <laughs> 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 oh, that is that'll give beautiful. It'll give you a rough idea of how oh, much you had to drink. Awesome. <laughs> True story. We will talk next month about towing electric vehicles and why that mm. isn't straightforward. But, Jeff, can we get you to open the book on VFAX for uh, April 2022? And from a, a national perspective, it was, I, I think, probably fair to say, a disappointing month for, for new vehicle sales, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, Greg, and I think most people know that, that we've got some challenges in the in the industry. Look, for April, uh, 81,000 new vehicles reported um, were sold in April 2022. That's a reduction of 11,282 vehicles or 12.2% in April last year. That's a big drop for one month, 12.2% of vehicles. Year to date, we're down 12,494 new vehicles. That's 3.5% down over last year as well. Uh, sales were down across most states and territories, uh, with WA recording the largest drop down for April, 20.4%, followed by the ACT, 149 New South Wales, 12.7%. These are in the negative. Queensland, negative 122 Victoria down 11% on April last year as well. Now, you know, we've spoken a lot on this uh, program around the COVID pathway. And if you follow the COVID pathway, let's look at WA. It was one of the last states that sort of came out of lockdown. And at the moment, they're suffering the, the hardest hit on vehicle sales. Now, let's hope they pick up and progress through the year. Um, but it does, it, this COVID indicator is a really interesting one. Year to date, Tasmania is the only state recording increased sales at 7.3%. And that's no surprise for the month of April. It's no surprise given they suffered, suffered less lockdown constraints. Again, Tassie's economy hit less by COVID than any other state, car sales kept going. But there's a salient point here. You know, there's a lot of conjecture from time to time when people say, well, we don't need new car uh, dealerships. People don't need to go to a dealership to buy a car. However, what COVID has taught us, when people can't walk into a dealership to buy a car, they buy less of them. So So that really goes against the argument that we can just sell cars online. Nobody wants to go to a dealership. That's not true. And COVID has, has actually proved that. So it's a really interesting point. Shane and I typically follow the yellow brick road, Jeff, but you're following the COVID pathway, which is interesting. Um, now, sales sales were down across all vehicle segments in, in April, except for heavy vehicles. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And, it, and that's a really good indicator. So heavy vehicles grew by 6.5% for the month. 
Um, that is a very, it's a very strong indicator of an underpinning strength in the economy. Now we've got the federal government's instant asset write-off uh, operating there as well. But my gut feeling is when people are buying commercial vehicles, it's because I've got work or they've got work coming up commercially. I've got, I've got a mate who's in the secondhand truck business, Dave Pittman, and he he's having trouble getting his hands on stock. That's the other thing is, is if people go to him and say, I want secondhand stock. So some people who maybe would have probably gone for a secondhand truck and been happy to spend the money on getting it serviced, I think may have been pushed up into a higher bracket to try and buy new because they can't get what they want. Yeah, I think you're dead, you're dead right, Shane. Look, at a macro level, big picture, we need to factor in market distortions for the April figures as well, and that's due to lack of product coming into the market. So the FCAI, Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, which, which is where these the FCAI VFAX figures come from, they attribute the April sales decrease to ongoing global supply issues and shipping constraints due to COVID-19. And we know about the semiconductor shortages around the world. Uh, they're still saying, and the industry repeats this as well, delivery times for many new vehicles has blown out nine to 12 months. Uh, depending who you talk to, and I talk to people in the industry, interstate, internationally, this could start to clear up in the second half of this year. But more people are talking about early 2023 when this, you know, when the supply chain starts to free up and we get vehicles back here on mass. Jeff, when you look at sales by vehicle category and type, it's actually EVs and plug-in hybrids that were the only real ones to grow in April, weren't they? They were indeed, Greg. And it's you know, there's a even though we don't have national policy around electric vehicle uh, usage in Australia, there's something happening really uh, irrespective of that. So electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles were really the only categories that grew in April 2022. Sales of diesel, petrol and uh, hybrids and hydrogen vehicles uh, all went backwards. So 866 electric vehicles sold in the month of April, 52 were Tesla Model 3s, listen to this, and 93 with a Polestar 2, wow. which is a Volvo product. Hmm. Very nice little product. I've said in the Polestars, they're very nice little cars. Um, 628 plug-in hybrid vehicles sold compared to 248 in April last year. It's a huge gain. So clearly, growing trend towards plug-in hybrids. And I think that plug-ins go well because of this. we've still got concerns around range anxiety and how many charging stations will be available to me. And the plug-in seems to be the bridge that people can uh, are crossing to get into new cars, but make sure they're not going to be on the side of the road. Can we bounce through some other notable sales performers from uh, from April? I mean, Suzuki Bellino, for example. Suzuki Bellino, 991 sales in April, up 257% from April last year. Now, this is interesting. This car starts around $19,000, $19,990. You can buy a brand new car in Australia for under $20,000. My gut feeling is as well with the conversation around new cars if I can't really, really get the car I want that's going to cost me 60 or 70K, I'm going to buy a small car that I can pass down to a family member. It's under 20 grand. Same again with the MG, the MG3, uh, 1,615 sales, up 40% on April last year, $18,490 drive away, rough figures. Uh, it's it's under $20,000. And cheaper than, than what the um, Hyundai XL came out at. I can remember when that came out, which blew us all away. Who knew that down the road you'd have a car with more features and less dollars to get it in it's, a, it's a, absolutely amazing. Uh, the Kia Stinger, 316 sales in April, up 203% on last year, 51,000. 
getting up the food chain a bit here. And the Porsche Taycan 58 sales up 20% in April, from April last year, 156,300 fully electric. Oh, cheap. Fully electric. Cheaper twice the price. <laughs> cheap as. Fully electric sports car. Yeah. I've not been in one yet. Have you, Rusty? Or No, I'm, and I'm desperate to do that. So uh, it's a big hello to our our, uh, our team in the communications department <laughs> at Porsche. Um, but, but, yeah, we, we would – we would love to try that machine out. Mm-hmm. Having spoken to to guys like Mark Weber um, when it was actually in the the concept and and early sort of design phase, they said it was going to be good, and it certainly appears to be. What about Jeff in terms of brand performance? I mean, um, luxury and and sport vehicle sales declined in in April twenty twenty two, but I mean Bentley, uh, you know, they, there's some good numbers for Bentley there. Well, they, you know, Bentley doubles its sales, uh, 12 vehicles in April last year to 23 in April this year. Uh, they're beautiful cars. Um, Renault more than doubled its sales from 298 last year in April to 606 this year. Can, can we just, a little, a little footnote on some of yeah. that, Jeff. Does the, the, the Renault example kind of gets back to what you spoke about in a recent episode, doesn't it, that you can't necessarily get product in other brands, so you're actually considering a Renault where you may not have done that before. That's exactly what's happening, Greg. That that's you know, uh, people that want to buy a car are going to buy a car. Um, I think there's two, you know, three groups. I'm going to keep the one I've got for longer. I'm going to buy a small car, or I still want to buy a good luxury car. I'm going to go and find another one. Toyota Hilux was our our highest selling model. So it, the whole notion of of Utes and will we long term start to go away from them and things? They're still. Um, they're still the thing to have right now, aren't they? Look, I think, Greg, uh, this is just for this show, okay? So I'm going to tell you something. That <laughs> okay, I, just between us, just between us. <laughs> if you look at the commentary out of New Zealand this week, so the new uh, taxes have come in in New Zealand, the new regime around electric vehicles, and if you buy a four-wheel drive, or well, four-wheel drive sales this month in New Zealand almost froze completely because the new regime's coming through where if you're buying a four-wheel drive and it's a diesel, you're going to hit, you know, you could be hit four or five grand extra on that vehicle because what they're doing, they're disincentivizing uh, heavy vehicles and they're incentivizing electric and hybrid vehicles. So that model over there has significantly altered the four-wheel drive market in for this month in New Zealand. And my gut feeling is in Australia, unless something significant changes in our market that actually pushes people into another market based on penalties, we will keep buying Hiluxes and RAV4s and, and CX-5s. We're not going to stop doing it in a hurry. No, you, all those guys we see, half of them are my mates that you see at servos in regional towns, you know, filling up their massive four-wheel drive that they've put a lift kit on with a snorkel, coming out of the servo with a soft drink and a Chico <laughs> roll in their hand. Chico <laughs> roll. <laughs> you are not getting them in an EV heading out bush Anytime to tow their, tow their camp trailer. Actually, it wouldn't matter what you said. You could make, you could blindfold them and cut their arms off. They'd find a way to, way to steer with their feet. You can't get them out of those things. Actually, Shane, I think the Chico roll meter will tell us what's happening in the car market. When Chico roll <laughs> when Chico roll sales start going backwards, we know we've got a problem with four-wheel drivers. Oh. This is a true – a photo I took I, I, when I drove my Kingswood to the Holden Museum in Echuca. I had my wife and the kids in a car following because they, they were bringing me back and I pulled in to a servo and to get a drink and when I walked in, I just – 
felt like I'd stood back in time when there was a Chico roll. <laughs> and the only reason I don't eat them is I've asked everyone in every roadhouse on the planet what's in those things and no one knows. <laughs> and it's, it's the 11 secret herbs and spices in KFC <laughs> and inside a Chico roll and a dimmy, no one knows what's in there. But uh, but I, as I saw it, I went, I have to get a photo of me in a regional roadhouse with a Chico roll and I, I did. It was the last photo I had of me driving and I made sure I ate a Chico roll. And I still have wind from that Chico roll <laughs> from nine years ago. <laughs> Info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Do you know the ingredients of a Chico roll? We'll talk about that in the next episode. Um, if you've got you a won't comment, get one no. email. You will not get one email. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso, and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry. Built to last the distance and keep you on the road. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso. For more details, to view the extensive range of products, for technical support, or just to find your part, go to denso.com.au. When we asked today's feature guest to come on, his first reaction was who pulled out? Tim McDonald is doing some very <laughs> funny things with my old family at Channel 10, specifically for the brilliant team at Working Dog Productions. He's part of the hilarious host lineup on The Cheap Seats, which takes a fun look at the week's news, entertainment and sport. It's likely you'll have seen him on Have You Been Paying Attention To? Now, those of you who are in the auto industry working your way while you listen to us on the grill are probably starting to go, yeah, but what's he got to do with cars? Well, Tim is a part of a very clever piss-take Vodcast was originally a podcast, but it's called The Reserve Drivers. You've got to go and check it out. And that has taken off. Um, it's loved in the Formula One paddock. We'll talk about that shortly. So the constituents are embracing it. And when you finish listening to this ep of The Grill, go and, go and find it and have a, have a little listen. I think you can find it on YouTube, for example. So we are talking to him ahead of the brand new Miami GP. So he is all dressed up like Don Johnson from Miami Vice. He's on the line. Tim McDonald, hello. Hey, Rusty. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, to put it in auto terms, you know when you take your car to the dealership and it needs to be repaired and they send you off in a tiny little hatchback? I'm the equivalent today on this show because I know you've had, <laughs> you've had big name guests, Ricardo, Jeremy Clarkson. So um, I'm, I'm the little rental for this week, but hopefully the guests are back next week. Hey, well done. Hey, where did the love, the passion for F1 come from? Well, passion for F1 came from passion for cars. And I actually, uh, doing a bit of research for this, I actually pulled out, this is... This is the, my first ever car magazine. This is Wheels from 2001. And for about 15 years, I bought every single edition because, you, you know, dial-up internet back then, you couldn't, you couldn't get any images of the latest cars. So I bought every edition of Wheels. I would have been about seven years old when I started and read them every single, every single month. And then F1 came from that. And um, I just love it. So we, we were one of the original fans before all the Netflix stuff kicked off, but um, we've been loving it for a while. And loving your work, Rusty. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Loved you as part of the Supercars coverage all those years ago. Thank you, mate. Um, was it just university mates having a laugh? What sort of – what was the genesis for the, for the podcast? Well, it was, it was funny because being, being in Australia, there's lots of um, comedy shows dedicated to AFL, NRL, so you've got the front bar, back page, a lot of cricket stuff. But um, a mate of mine, uh, Luke Rocker and I, we're big F1 fans and we noticed that there's not really anything in the F1 space that covers, you know, comedy. So we just we just had a go. We put up a camera and 
put out the first episode and then we got people in the Netherlands watching us, people in Dubai, people <laughs> overseas in, in the UK. And so it just sort of took off from there. We had no idea how many people in the industry watched us. And then we, we went to the Grand Prix um, a couple of weeks ago and all the, all the teams, uh, a couple of the drivers, all the commentators all came up to us and say, hey, loving the show. So um, I think we found... I think by default we found a little untapped market. Tim, do you? How many people do you have out there getting the grabs from drivers' comments, like you know, drivers talking back to their team? You have so, like it doesn't matter what comes up on on the podcast, vodcast that that I listen to the podcast uh, when I'm driving. You just have a grab for everything. It doesn't matter. It was seemingly like who sits there and records all that. So it's, so it's me. So it's me and the guy I do it, Luke. We watch everything. We watch from FP1 on the Friday right through to the end, Damn. wrap up on the Sunday. We watch hours and hours of stuff just to find those those one five-second grabs of, of people stuffing up. Um, <laughs> in, in the early days, we'd, 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 we'd grab them all together and then we'd put the episode out and then uh, Liberty Media, the owners of F1, would take it down. But thankfully... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thankfully, they have left us alone and people are saying that, you know, they leave us alone because I think they like what we're doing. So, fingers crossed, we stay stay copyright free for a while. To your point, Tim, did I spot you in the paddock at Albert Park being interviewed by the Sky Formula One team? That's how much this is love, mate. Well, so we... we, um Aussie F1 fans would know the Sky team of Crofty, Martin, Brundle. That's the, that's the feed that we get. And, and occasionally we pick out little moments where they're not quite at their finest. So we, 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 we got invited to the paddock from one of the teams, which I'm happy to chat about later. But we, we bumped into all the Sky commentary team and we, we were going there to apologise to them. But they were, they were coming up to us saying, hey, love the show. Would you mind recording a message for my, my wife, my kids? And do you want to come on the, the UK coverage? So oh, all, all, all of a sudden there's a little Aussie uh, YouTube channel that's featured on Sky TV in the UK to an audience of millions. But the weird thing about UK TV is at one point I said the phrase, taking the piss, because, you know, that's, that's what we do in the F1 world. And at the end of the interview, they had to have a bad language warning because I'd said, <laughs> I'd said, the, word, I'd said the word piss. And I was yes. like, what are, what are you talking about? In, yes. in Australia, that's how we talk in the morning. So... My buddy Lee Diffie, who now works in the United States, who you will know and, and commentates IndyCar, he, he called uh, World Superbike for BBC for a while and after the first couple of rounds they had like a debrief meeting with him and they said, young man, the word disaster is reserved for uh, natural, natural, you know, you know, like an earthquake or you can't call uh, a rider falling off his motorcycle a disaster. So, so, so there you are, mate. You, you've uh, been schooled in the Queen's English by the sounds of it, eh? Well, at the Grand Prix, we were a guest of the team um, Haas F1 and if you're an F1 fan, you will know that they have been a disaster for the last couple of years. So yeah. I, think, I think in that sense that applies. How disappointed were they when they said you, you can't say disaster when the rider came off? I bet he said, well, that's all gone to shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I'm just, I'm just trying to call it as I see it, mate. You didn't like disaster. Exactly, exactly. Now, Tim, ordinarily we would ask about your first car, your daily drive, but a little birdie tells me you might have to get a licence first. Is this true? So I am a big, I am a big car fan. I am a big motorsport fan. Uh, Don't answer it, Tim. Don't answer it. 
Because I know the answer. Don't answer Career it. Career-stopping moment. Uh, no, <laughs> go on. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Thanks. Thanks. Shane's acting with my legal counsel. Uh, no, <laughs> no comment. I'd like, I'd like to say I've been stripped of a licence, but at the moment it's, it's, it is a work in progress. Uh, I, I learned to drive on Mum's uh, 2004 Toyota Tarago, and I'll be honest, the Costa Concordia would be easier to drive than that thing. So <laughs> for the moment, for the moment, I'm waiting until I can get my hands on, on a proper race car, but um, that is in the works. Okay, so money's no object. Rob Sitch has given you the checkbook. Do they even still make those? What is your dream drive then? If you've had all those Wheels magazines over the years, come on, what's a little something you'd, you'd splurge on that would be special in the garage if you could? Well, I love the phrase "money is no object." I work at Channel Ten, so money is definitely, <laughs> definitely no <laughs> object there. <laughs> Gee, the dream, the dream car. Um, I, I was a big Holden fan growing up, so uh, I, I remember as a kid, I, I, I loved the Monaro. The, the when they, they came back out with the Monaro, and I actually. For a while there, I wanted to be a car designer. So I actually did a sketch of the Monaro and sent that off to Holden and, and they, they very kindly came back with a cease and desist. But then, <laughs> then they sent me some merch, so I think it would be the Monaro. But I, as a kid, I was obsessed with pretty much every car. Like, we used to go to motor shows as a kid and, you know, teenage boys at motor shows, they, they would often go up to these... They used to have in those, those models next to the car and, and they'd often go, hey, hey, can I have a photo? Can I... Can I have a video? And I'd go up to these models and go, hey, have you got a brochure for the Peugeot 205? Like, <laughs> I was the saddest, the saddest kid, but I used to love every single car. And I, I have this Rain Man ability where I can name a car as it drives past in the wow. street. And it, it, it impresses no one. Um, but um, us. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. Hey, Tim, you know, when I look at cars, I'm a, I'm a shape guy. I love the shape of cars and particularly classic cars. When you're looking at cars, is it the engine? Is it the shape? Is it the fit? What is the thing that, that is drawing you to that particular car? I think it's the design. I think it's the shape, okay. as, you, as you say, um, uh, you, you know, looking at it and like when, when, you're, when you're a kid growing up, they're just these awesome, cool pieces of tech that yeah. you go, wow, I'd love to sit in that. I'd love to get behind the wheel of that. So I, I loved every aspect. I, as I said, I wanted to be a designer um, right up until the point where we had a car industry, but unfortunately... Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, so I, I chose a safer bet than the Australian car industry. I chose free-to-air television. So that was a, that was a safer bet at the time. But I think it's the shape, it's the shape, the interior, the exterior, uh, just the, the sound and the noise, just just everything. Yeah, okay. I was just going to say, you've you got to. I'm with I'm with you, Tim. That it's all about the shape. But once it has gone past you, it's nice to hear a decent <laughs> noise coming out of it. I've always thought Mike Tyson would be that little bit more popular if he actually sounded like Morgan Freeman <laughs> instead of like he does. So it is it is how it looks but also how it sounds, let's be honest. Well, the first time I went to the F1, it would have been about 2004, I reckon, and that was back in the days of the big, I think that might have been the V12s back then or v- at least the V10s, 10s, and they, yeah. just, they just sounded fantastic and, you know, you could hear them from 10Ks away and your ears would be hurting for three weeks after you'd been to the race and I miss that. I, I know I know in this modern era, you know, we've got to be environmentally conscious, blah, 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 blah. But I do miss the the real sound of the V10s and just the noise and just the that sort of visceral feeling of being at the race. Have you seen that footage online of Lewis Hamilton being interviewed and they've brought a V10 back out on a track just as an exhibition lap and while he's being interviewed, it goes past the pits and it stops him talking. He literally stops the interview <laughs> yeah. to listen to it and then looks down the barrel of the camera and just, oh, the sound of that engine. Like it's enough to stop Lewis Hamilton, you know, who, who lives around engines, you know. It might have been, I think it might have been Fernando Alonso in his old um, 05 Renault, I think, that might have been doing a lap. and it, Shot past. Yeah, and you, and you just go, 
Guys, this is a mistake because if you bring this out, we're going to want this full time because that <laughs> that's exactly what we're missing. We're missing the noise, the sound. That that I think we've got to get back to that. We'll get to the cheap seats in a moment, but are you into any other forms of motorsport or is it just F1? No, I was a big, I still am a big uh, V8 Supercars fan. Um, we used to go down to Sandown. Uh, that was that was our closest track, and um, sit out in the out in the in the stands as it bucketed down, as it always did it in does, Sandown. Yeah. <laughs> but they were great. Um, Bathurst 1000 every year. That that is just I, I, I'm up at 8 a.m. and it's phones off, um, not working, and it's 12 hours on the couch of just of just watching that. Um, used to be a big WRC fan as well. The rally I grew up in the era, probably the best era of it, which was um, uh, uh, Loeb. Loeb was sort of in oh, the middle fantastic. of his run. Yep. Gronholm, um, Peter Solberg, all those guys. Back when the manufacturers were all invested in it. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I was lucky in that. And then going back to supercars, that was back in the day of the, the big Holden Ford rivalry before. Um, I mean, obviously, I was a huge Nissan fan when they experimented in it for two for two years. But uh, oh, were you the one that cheered? Yeah, I was. I was. The, I was. The, actually, going back to dream car, the Nissan Altima would have to be. That would have to be the dream set of wheels. But um, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm lucky. The year I grew up in supercars, Scaife, Lowndes, um, Russell Engel, Jason, Jason Bride, and back when it was all on free to wear. And, and Russy, you were leaving the coverage with with Crompo and. Um, Matty White and, and they were just great days to watch watch you, the sport down here. You, you fondly reminisce about two golden eras, mate, be it supercars or World Rally Championship for that matter. Let's dive into the cheap seats if we can. Back on the telly, going gangbusters. Um, are you enjoying it? Tell us a bit more about how this opportunity came about. It's season two now, I think, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So um, in motorsport sense, uh, I, I got the gig because my father is a Russian oligarch who owns the network. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how it works. I will come good eventually. But if you haven't seen the show, and I'm speaking here to 10 management, yeah. it's basically basically we notice that there's, there's so much news out there in the world. There's hundreds and hundreds of hours every single week. There's no way to keep up with it all. What if there was a show where someone sat down and watched it all for you and pulled out the best hour, the, the funniest clips, not just from Australia but from around the world, so that it was the only thing you had to watch each week? So hopefully that's what we're doing with the cheap seats. Basically it's like, you know, when you're scrolling on social media and you find a great clip and you go, I can't wait to show my mates this, basically that's what the show is for us. We feel like we found a, a great bunch of clips from the week and we can't wait to show the audience. I love how it goes off the rails sometimes too. True or false, you now go by the alter ego Tim Cashman. <laughs> so I wish the audience could. We, we can see you on our monitor, obviously, and I wish the audience could have just seen what your face did when you heard that. So I host, I host the show with a very funny Melanie Bracewell, one of New Zealand's funniest comedians. And, and week one, she forgot my name. And then last week on the show, Denise Scott was a guest, and she just caught, she just made up a name for me, just Tim Cashman. I don't know where that came from. So. As long as the show's cutting through, it doesn't matter if I'm not cutting through, but as long as the show cuts through, that's all that matters. Mega, mega. You collaborate with the Working Dog team. We talked about that in the in the introduction. I mean, they've, you know, they've created the castle, the dish. Uh, have you been paying attention? We think here on The Grill it might be time for Working Dog to make a great Australian car movie. What do you think? Gee, well, there's that famous line from the castle, we've got to move the Tirana to get to the Cortina. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think if you remade it, you know, I've got to move the Sorrento to get through to the EV6. I don't think no, that quite, that quite works. No. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have a go. Um, 
the 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 boys aren't huge car fans. No. Uh, I think Tom drives a Volvo, so that tells you everything you need to know. Um, I can hear listeners switching off right right yeah. about now. But, uh, Just flatlined. That's that's right. Well, Shane, you've been in some great Aussie car movies, I know. So I I think we'll we'll leave that to Shane and and the experts on that one. But it would it would be great to, to to stitch comedy into to car and the working dog team do that stuff you know better than most you know they probably are the best in fact but it would be great to to because the the backdrop of automobiles and the Australian sense of humour I think they're a great marriage you know all you got all it's missing is a you know a pie and a beer and you've got the perfect solution to mm. everything I'm looking for in my life. Well, I, I might be one, I might be one of the last generation that that remember the Great Aussie Road Trip, as in uh, growing up, Dad had a, a had a Holden Statesman and we'd sit in the back of it and you drive from Melbourne up to Sydney, you stop at Macca's along the way, you stay in really cheap motels and and you had that whole experience and and you just go that's 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 what I love about Australia and, and, and cars in Australia and all that sort of stuff. A statesman. Your dad had a statesman. Man, I would only have dreamt. There was one. In, there was one. I never found out where where it lived, but every now and then it would go through Avondale Heights, and I just kept thinking that's stolen. Um, <laughs> but I just kept thinking, like, where does that live? And I never found out where it got parked. But years later, I'm Brian Brown, the the wonderful, uh, you know, actor Brian Brown. Um, had a has a red probably still has a red Statesman Deville and um, he had it parked in his driveway and I was there at his house and I said oh you've got a Statesman he said yeah yeah and I said um, how long you had that he said forever and it, and it's, it's at that point it could still be it was his daily drive and I said when are you going to replace that and this was only like ten or twelve years ago I said when are you going to replace that he said when they build a better car oh, yeah right. Oh. Well, that was well, Brian Brown. Well, on, on that, I was chatting to mum the other day and, and she was chatting about wedding cars and at, at her wedding to dad, you know, she wanted, you know, an old Mercedes or, or an old Rolls Royce and so dad said, no, 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 I've, I've got the perfect car, I'll organise it. And they rock up and it's a, it's a white Ford Fairlane. And, 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 and mum goes, you know, I wanted something a little classy. And he goes, and dad, who's the sales rep, goes, you don't get much classier than the Ford Fairlane. Fairlane. So that was, <laughs> no. it was, it was the Fairlane of the Statesman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, I reckon in the early part of your career, am I right in saying you did a bit of um, work in the either content or social media space for Working Dog around Utopia? I, um, that's another show that I love. How scarily accurate is that program? I mean, it took the mickey out of government departments and some of the carryings on in that space. That was another very funny thing, mate, wasn't it? Well, they um, so Utopia was a show on the ABC. It was, it was about a fake government department that built big projects that went wrong. I don't know where they got the idea from that from. <laughs> but they, they would have these meetings with, with people who worked in these, in these big projects and, and the, all those people used to say, guys, you haven't gone far enough. There's, there's much more in the real space and... You know, it was things like, you know, they'd be building, a, you know, a $10 million building, but it was held up for three months because there was a species of insect that might be extinct. <laughs> I don't know where they got these ideas from, but uh, I, I think they are true. But Utopia was a fantastic series. I grew up in the area, thank God you're here, um, Frontline, The Hollow Men. Yeah. So to be working for them now and to be the show that kills their legacy is an enormous honour. It's, it's something I, think, I, take, uh, I take very seriously. As you fart in the working dog elevator. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Hey, hey, Tim, I spent a lot of time with governments and uh, I think things like Utopia, uh, their induction programs for people going into government, they're, they're really, <laughs> you, you, I watch them with other people, they're laughing, I'm just looking at it going, that's just a day in the office. It's, uh, 
incredibly you know the the irony in those shows is how accurate they are and it's uh oh they're crazy i was gonna say i was gonna say you either laugh or need three years of therapy it depends (laughs) on your it depends on your experience yeah for jeff it's a documentary but for most of us it's it's thankfully a comedy yeah when you made that joke about some rare species of insect this is a true story when i was building my new house uh, up where i live in macedon um i had to uh there was an area i was putting a shed and it, not a massive shed, but big enough. Um, and it was up the back of the property. There was nothing there, which is why I chose that spot to put this, this shed. And they came and inspected it. And I had to pay $3,500 um, for some native grass to be planted somewhere else in Australia as an offset plan. So where I was putting the shed, there was some native grass. Now, there was pine needles dropping on the same area where the said native grass was apparently growing, and I said, there's nothing growing out of these pine needles, and they said, that's another thing we want to talk to you about. It's about these pine needles um, that are killing the native grass. And I said, you'll need to speak to the tree about that. I I don't shit pine needles. That tree drops them. That's a fair income conversation that happened. They wanted to then talk to me about the pine needles. Oh. And just for our US listeners, Shane, if you can avoid using the word shit in that story, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I turned, I turned that whole story into a complete disaster. Oh, oh damn, I've done, done it again. again. He's done it again. <laughs> hey, time is, time is going to beat us here. Let's wrap up with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of Formula One. Firstly, the interview that you've done along the way or the moment, maybe the racetrack you've been to along the way that, that really is etched in your, in your mind. So we were lucky enough, we were invited by Haas um, this year to the Australian Grand Prix and we sat in the garage, we had the headphones on the whole way and I hope this isn't breaching any confidence but um, Mick Schumacher, obviously Michael's son, is one of the drivers and this was I think his first time at Albert Park and, you know, F1, they have these billion-dollar simulators, computer technology, just to understand everything at the track. And at one point, Mick goes to his engineer, I've forgotten which turn turn 9 and 10 is. Would you mind printing out a map of the circuit? <laughs> and, and so legit, legit, there are these computer simulators running everywhere, but there are three mechanics with a printer and some scissors cutting out a map of <laughs> Albert Park to stick in his cockpit so that he could remember which corner was which. Yeah. And, uh, and I... And I thought, wow! But Albert Albert Park, like, grew, grew up five minutes away from the circuit. It, it is, it, it's, it's my favourite track. I'm so glad we got to have it this year because it might have been cancelled had it not returned. But it was, it was amazing. It was our first time in the paddock, and we were with Haas. And and for F1 fans, you'll know that Haas used to be sponsored by a Russian oligarch. Um, up until, of course, the events at the moment. But apparently they have this vodka fridge, which is legendary in the garage. But because the branding. Have, have all these Russian logos on it. No one's allowed to open the fridge for fear of what might happen. So they've got this great vodka, but we didn't get to try any of it because it's in a locked fridge. So one day, hopefully, they can open that fridge and we can have a, have a sample. Very cool. Yeah. Can you do a Gunter Steiner? He's become huge in the whole Drive to Survive space. Can you, can, can you impersonate him? Uh, uh, it will involve some bleeping. Uh, <laughs> I was, was going to say, if you thought disaster was a swear word, I don't think you're ready for what I'm, what I'm about to say. But Drive to Survive has been amazing. Obviously, I reckon all of us were fans before it came along, but um, as a result of it, we've now got, um, you know, people who had no interest in the sport coming up. They they know the characters, they know the drivers, the attendance, I think it was 420,000 at the Grand Prix. So it's it's done an amazing thing for the sport, but, you know... um, I just I just love F1 and we had we had the best time there. And I saw you in the paddock, Rusty, and I was I meant to go up and say hello, but you were busy interviewing uh, Christian Horner, so I, I thought I'd, I'd I'd leave you to it. But um, hopefully next year, if I if we're allowed back in and not dragged out by security, <laughs> we can ca- we can catch up over an illegal vodka. We would love to do that. Final one before we go, because time has beaten us here. We promise not to 
replay this. Okay, maybe once or twice. Uh, Just between us, can you make a couple of predictions for the rest of the F1 season? We're going to roll in like a tarot reading sound effect later or something or other. Three predictions and we want wrong answers only. Come on, three predictions for the rest of the F1 season from you. Three predictions, wrong answers only. Well, uh, well, firstly, I predict that uh, Mick Schumacher's printer will run out of ink. There are, tw- <laughs> there are, there are 20, 23 races and uh, he is going to struggle. Look, it, it's an amazing battle at the moment. I've knocked off the record. It's an amazing battle at the moment. Um, Charles Leclerc and Ferrari, they're competitive. Red Bull, you never write them off. And Mercedes, uh, so I'm going to go, gee, three wrong predictions only. I think uh, my prediction is that we'll, there'll be a, a second race in Singapore, obviously getting rid of Russia. That's my prediction. You can get that wrong. And my more, my most accurate prediction is that uh, we will not be invited back next year. <laughs> well, we hope <laughs> we hope that doesn't come true and that you are invited yeah. back, mate. It's been super to talk to you and have a laugh along the way. Season two of the Cheap Seats is on ten now, Tuesday nights, or you can get it on ten play. Check your guides, as they say. Tim, thank you very much for talking to us. Hey, Rusty, Shane, Jeff, thank you so much. Big fan of the show, guys. And normal guests will resume next next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. And, uh, Thanks, and Tim, Tim. I, know you didn't want to, I know you didn't want us to plug it, but your GoFundMe page, which is T McDonald uh, Driver's Licence to Survive Entertainment, <laughs> um, so they can helpfully fund your driver's licence. Give and give generously. Thanks, guys. <laughs> VACC and TACC Automotive Apprenticeships are the go-to programs if you or someone you know wants to get into the auto industry. Operating right across Victoria and Tasmania, the Automotive Apprenticeships team currently has openings for heavy and light mechanics. So that's trucks, commercial vehicles, motorcycles and cars to you and me. So auto electrical, panel beating and spray painting, and my favourite, parts interpreting. Yeah, you heard me, parts interpreting. So working with spare parts to make sure the job is done right every time. That's pretty much the whole industry covered there, folks. Positions are available right now. To begin, get in touch with the great team at autoapprenticeships.com.au. That's autoapprenticeships.com.au and rev up your new career today. VACC. You're in good hands. Our VACC member guest for this episode is actually our Auto Electrical Division Executive Committee Chair. Paul Beck owns Berwick Auto Electrics and Mechanical, and there is a list of industry and community awards that he and their staff have won. Seriously impressive. Originally founded in Beaconsfield back in 1978, but based in beautiful Berwick now, about 40 k's southeast of the Melbourne CBD there since 1999. And Paul, we'll get to it a little bit later, has kept a very cool car in the garage, I think since he was a teenager too. He's standing by in the studio with us. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks for having me. Tell us how you got into the auto industry. Um, I've always had a love of cars and when I was 13, 14, I was at Oakley Tech. That's where I went to school and... um, I've always wanted to work with my hands and thought cars, hands, next door neighbour, his son ran an auto electrical business in High Street Armidale and um, he said, do you want a job? So I went, did an apprenticeship as an auto elect. And then from there, establishing your own business or getting into business for yourself, how how soon was that step for you? Were you sort of uh, early to mid-20s and how did that all come about? Um, I'd always been pretty driven. Uh, my mates, they 
all had cars and wanted me to do work at night. So I was finding myself finishing work at five o'clock and then coming home and working out in mum and dad's garage until probably eight, nine o'clock at night. And then I thought, bugger it, I'm going to have a go by myself. So did it at the age of 22 and I went, started in partnership with my brother at Beaconsfield and then we progressed and uh, got another branch at Berwick. We actually built the factory in Enterprise Avenue, Berwick back in 1989 and that's when Clyde Road, if you've ever been into Berwick, Clyde Road is now three lanes wide and they've just finally done the underground for the railway crossing. So that's been pretty painful, but yeah, we've progressed from there. I've got to ask a question, mate, because it's a dark art, <laughs> the electrics <laughs> in a car, and it doesn't matter how many of my mates or people we know that have done up a car, when you go, we're going to we're gonna do up the engine. There's 20 blokes turn up with a six-pack going, mate, I'll help you. I know, mate, exhaust, <laughs> I, mate, look, welding the roll cage, yeah, I can do that. Yep. And then the panel beat, everyone's willing to have a go. Even spray painting backyarders, everyone's willing to have a go. Just smooth hand action, mate. It'll be easy. But as soon as someone goes, right, the wiring loom, the room goes quiet. <laughs> like, yeah. Could you charge $1,000 a minute? Like, has it got to that point? Like, Oh, we we charge a we fairly, <laughs> fairly, fairly good hourly <laughs> rate. <laughs> we, we're good on that side of it. But, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of an art. It is. It yeah, is. It's, the, and, it's the one bit that none of my mates, honestly, there's no one I know in my friendship group, whenever you've got a problem with an older car, as soon as you get to electrics, like I said, this the phone goes quiet. You've just got to know horses for courses and the right application and when to do it. Your jobs, in, it's something we talk about a lot on the show, um, jobs in your industry, is there plenty of jobs available for kids out there, that, oh. that, you know, boys and girls that go, you know what, auto-lec, you know, would you, would you, if someone knocked on your door today, how many jobs could you or people you know have? Well, I've got three apprentices as we speak. I've got one that's a VCAL apprentice, so he's there two days a week and he's doing his VCE and I've got a second year and a first year apprentice and it's a great industry and it's the future of the industry because auto electrical and we do mechanical as well too, but with the advent of electric and hybrid cars, it's a no-brainer for us. Paul, you're the, the, the chair of the VACC's auto electrical uh, division. We talked about that in the, the introduction today, the executive committee there. What role does the committee play in sort of forming policy direction and improving these sorts of conditions for the industry? Our committee, we're the eyes and ears, so we're at, at grassroots. So we report back to uh, the VACC and tell the VACC what we need in our industry and the big ticket items at the moment are staff. You go into any workshop and say, what's what's the problem with the industry at the moment? We can't get staff. They're all busy, flat out, which is great for business, but you're not able to meet the consumer's needs. Yeah. So my fix for it, which I think would be a good thing, is people put on more apprentices. I've gone down that path. Um, to encourage apprentices to come into the industry, whether or not we lobby government to give us subsidies for the first couple of years of their apprenticeship and also help them out for wages because we're losing apprentices to commercial building. Uh, commercial building has probably come back a little bit now because of the downturn, so to speak. So Hopefully it's an opportunity for us to try and encourage kids into the industry. 
and we have to get at the schools and the careers advisors and not say, look, you have to go down the path of doing a university degree, do a trade, do an automotive trade. Paul, the natural line of questioning then is this looming federal election. What are the kind of main priorities for your industry sector? Electric cars, training, Mm. knowing what to do. Um, We do roadworthies at work at the moment and I've had a couple of Teslas in and I've rung Vic Roads and I'm on the steering committee for the advisory committee for Vic Roads and I said to him, what things do I have to check from a safety and a roadworthy point of view? And they couldn't even answer that question. One of the things that came through the committee, Paul, and we've taken this as a position to government at the moment, is that anybody working on an electric vehicle should be undertaking a predetermined skill set, certainly around safety. So, I mean, is that useful for the industry, Paul, to know? Oh, that? for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Because, you know, it's dangerous. It's not low voltages. No, These voltages can voltage, kill. It's it's huge. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. It was like back in the day, we were told with electric forklifts, you just don't, you don't lift the lid on that, so to speak. No. Because no. they're going, that, I mean, that thing's dying it's to crackling. kill you. It's crackling. In it. Mm. <laughs> the thing, but it is, it's a different world, isn't it? Like, oh, like it we're is. talking about a, a little bit of a wire on a bulb before, and I get it, that yeah, is what you yeah, did, a probe yeah, and a light bulb and check yeah. the circuit. You don't go poking around inside no. an electric vehicle, do you? No, you don't. I had a client that was in the other day. She's got a four-year-old Volvo. She's going to update the Volvo, and she said, I'm going to get an alert electric Volvo. And she said, will you be able to still service it? And I said, well, the serviceability side of it, they've still got brakes, they've still got tyres, they've still got wiper blades. So Mm. there is going to be work for us. So So when that thing stops in the middle of nowhere, you'll be able to turn up and swap the wiper blades. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Paul, before we let you you go, Shane and I were chomping at the bit today to talk a little classic cars and things with you. I know you've got one of your own that we'll get to in a second, but your clients, you've got a couple of good clients. I think one with either Range Rovers or Land Rovers, don't you? Oh, I have. I've got one one guy, he... Bought a car into me one day, a Land, a Land Rover, a Series 1, which is early 60s, and he said, oh, you know, can you do a roadworthy on it for me? So we did the roadworthy. He had contacts for parts and everything. Next time he came in, he said, oh, can I book another one in next week? I said, what, you've got two of these things? And he said, mate, I've got a fleet. He said, I've got the biggest collection in the world, he's got over 250 of those things. 250. <laughs> Are you saying, like, yep. One guy has 250. Yep. He does. He does. He lives on a rural property. Is that how unreliable they are now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get one to run. Hang on. This, one's, this one won't start. I'll try the next one. <laughs> They're reliable after they've been into me, Shane. Oh, well played. Well played. Magnificent. Are they all registered? Uh, yeah, most of them are. What is that bill? Yeah, I know. Crunch the numbers. They're yeah. on club plates, though. <laughs> How's the dinner table conversation, though? Look, I'm just thinking I'm going to buy another one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, he, he, he knows where every one of them are located in Australia because he's head of the Land Rover club. Of course he is. And... <laughs> He's the man. So. Even on club plates, I've just done a yeah, quick calculation, a that'd money. still be about 17 grand yeah. in Rego if yeah. they're all on club plates. <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of something special, mm. you have kept a Sandman, am I right, since you were about, uh, seven, about 17? Yes. Uh, <gasps> my first car is a HQ panel van and um, it's changed over the, over the journey. I um, played with it and 
put a different front on it as you do when you're young. What did you go, WB? Everything. No, I went uh, HZ Caprice front. That's all right. It's acceptable. I like it. So... (laughs) So at the moment it's sprayed Monza Red, which is actually a Ford colour, so I had to say that, but it still looks sharp with all the chrome and everything on it and um, a lot of fun times with it, but I'll tell you a funny story Hello. about the, the panel <laughs> Paul, there. Paul, this is a family show, yeah, okay? Yeah, Just yeah, to- <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll keep it clean. Okay. Um, my, my wife, who I was courting at the time, and a mate, so three of us sitting abreast. Where Westgate is Bridge. this going? <laughs> no, no, no. Westgate, Westgate Bridge, we're cruising down. My mate is just got his HZ with a V8 in it and he's beside me and we're coming down the other side of the Westgate Bridge and we thought, oh, we'd open it up. That was before the advent of speed cameras and everything. And all of a sudden, bang, the tail shaft fell out. Oh. The car jumped up in the air. The tail shaft bent went under the axles, car locked up. We all got out safe and everything, but it took out all the drivetrain from the engine back. Look, wow. coming down the west gate. Yeah. Oh. Back in the day. <laughs> Who put that on? Yeah. <laughs> so right now, so and, it's still, and right now the Ford fans are going, that's why you should have yeah, had a nine-inch yeah. Ford diff in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people say when a tail shaft breaks at the front. Terrible. The car. Can launch. Can launch, but it didn't. It bent mm, and went wow. under the wheels. So, thank goodness. So, yeah. But on the Westgate, of all the yeah, places, yeah, yeah. if yeah. someone said to me, "Where would be the worst place to have oh, that happen?" Man. I reckon yeah. I'd go. I reckon number one, Westgate, <laughs> Balti, second. Either way, it's a bridge. But you got to remember, this is a long time ago, just after the Westgate had opened, and mm. they didn't have the cameras there or anything yeah. like that. We just put a tow rope on because I always had a tow rope in the car. <laughs> He's very he confident. Towed, he t- very confident mechanic. <laughs> and he, he towed me back to mum and dad's in Murrumbina. The family. Home worked on it that weekend. Had it going Monday morning for work. So, mate, three oh, questions. Man. Three questions about the Sandman. Yep. One, what do you reckon it's worth now? Number two, where's it parked? And number <laughs> yeah. three, when are you not home next? Uh, <laughs> it would be. It would be worth quite a bit. It's ridiculous what they're going for. I, know. I, I just bought a rolling shell, which is it needs to be done up, and I paid twenty five thousand dollars for it. I got a lot of good panels and everything with this one, but I've got. Two hoists set up at work, at home, and that's my project I'm going so to do. you got two get it hoists at home. Yeah. 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 It's good man cave. I like you You'd more love it. every yeah. second <laughs> I speak to you. <laughs> Paul, we could I love chat. cars. We can tell. We can tell and we could chat like this forever. Um, thank you very much for sharing a little bit about that awesome uh, vehicle of yours and special thanks to you for the great work you're doing as um, the Auto Electrical Division Executive Committee Chair and to you and the staff at, at Berwick Auto. Keep powering and all the very best for the rest of 2022. Thank you for having me. It's good been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure's ours, mate. I'll be uh, I'll be seeing you at your workshop with all of my cars. Not a problem, mate. Probably this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's dive into the glove box now. Sift through a bit of your mail from the past month. Thank you for sending that in too. If there is anything in this episode that's piqued your interest, don't forget info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Here is one for Shane. It's from Greg from Auckland. This is genuine, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. I'm serious. From, uh, we've got lots of good followers in New Zealand, which is terrific. When is the Holden versus Ford movie coming out? And Greg asks, am I in it? Um, 
uh, Greg, if you're asking me when it's coming out, then I would assume, no, you're not in it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And to answer your question, yes, it is. It is coming out. Okay. But I can't tell you when yet. Righto. <laughs> but it is, it is, it is, and it's going to be amazing. I, 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 I wish I could say more. I, I promise our listeners when I can, this will be the first place you hear it. Rip up. One for Jeff from Damon from Borkham Hills in New South Wales there. Really love the Grand Prix pod- podcast. Jeff, will we be doing that again next year? Please, please, please. That's from Damon. Uh, I would say yes. I think the VACC and the team and the members and uh, the industry love that whole morning and the podcast. So my view is yes, it's in planning and uh, yeah, let's uh, make sure we do do at least the same job, but not if not more. And we've got one final one here. Um, I'm assuming this is for me. It says for Mark Beretta. Um, uh, he, he got the good looks and talent. Uh, no, it's for Greg from <laughs> Ju- Judy in Mildura. Um, she says, I'm a big Supercars fan, loves her Fords. I think Neil Crompton would be a great guest on the show. Now, he, was, he was our MC at our special President's Breakfast that the VACC ran at the Grand Prix, which we were just talking about. So um, Judy is asking, could you do me a favour and ask to get him on? I think we've got No, a- I'll do one better. I'll do one better. I'm asking you, can we have him on? Okay. With her. There you are. Okay. I'm asking because he like, – and I know he's a mate of yours, uh, Rusty, and I, I, I know him a little bit too, but he was – I mean, Jeff, didn't he do an amazing job uh, of emceeing? I, 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 wanted, to re- I wanted to record what he said at our function. I wish we could have aired that. Mm. He's got a he's got a fabulous book out at the moment, so it's a, a good excuse to um, to have a chat with him. So uh, Judy, we'll make that promise. We'll we'll try and lock him down and and get him on the the show in a in a coming episode for you. Uh, before we go, gentlemen, it is time for this. Blow it out your tailpipe. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go high. Blow it out your tailpipe. Yeah, well, this, it's going to be – it's a serious one. Um, and, and when I say a serious one, it's not its not heavy material. This – I was talking uh, – during the week, some friends were talking about cars and cars we'd had and and cars that, you know, might surprise people that you've had. And I had a Pajero um, and I had a Pajero for a while, Pajero, which – as we probably know in Spanish means wanker. Uh, <laughs> true story. You know I'm telling the truth, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. I Jeff do. does too. It, it is. That's why it didn't sell so well in Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, pajero is not a very fond term for a human. Um, but I did have one and uh, and they said, oh, what happened to that? And I said, oh, actually, I, I destroyed it. And um, and I said, what do you mean destroyed it? Did you hate it that much? I said, no, I actually quite like it. It was a company car. It was given to me as a company car. But here's the thing, and, I, and, and it, when we get to the end of it, you'll understand why I'm saying blow out the tailpipe. I was driving towards Geelong in this thing and I made some rookie errors where a mate of mine was having dinner with me, Graham Crawford, who has been racing cars on and off over the years, um, and and we were having this chat and uh, he he remembered what I did. I was driving the car and the car was overheating and I didn't have a chance to do much about it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm here's the rookie mistake. Nearly half of our listeners, if not all of them, are going to roll their eyes in a hurry. It, it kept it kept boiling over and for some reason I didn't have my whole brain plugged in, often don't. I actually filled it up a bit and I left the cap half half turned on, like a half a turn on, not fully turned on, just to release pressure. Now, already everyone's going, you idiot. And this is why I'm telling the story <laughs> because even I didn't have my brain on that day because it was kind of bubbling everywhere. And, blah, 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 blah. and um, anyway, I left it kind of half off and I don't know why I thought that was a great idea. And as I was driving, now now right now I'm going to explain to people, what I then do is I, I lower the boiling temperature. It then becomes at ambient temperature. So instead of like what, Jeff, 130, 140 degrees Celsius, yep. it comes down to about 100, yeah? So what I don't realise at this point, and don't forget that the Pajero had alloy heads. I'm driving to Geelong with a friend 
and as we're driving, um, it, it, all of a sudden the temperature goes up a bit, it goes up a bit, and then you know where I'm going with this, Jeff, and then it starts to go down and I'm like, oh, no, we're fine, it's getting better. And it, it just affirmed to me I'd done the right thing, just leave it open a bit so some of the steam comes out because yeah, it's getting it. too hot. That'll do it. So it goes down and down and down and down and down. Anyway, it gets to the point it gets to the normal temp and then it goes lower and lower and lower. And I had that moment where my brain went, oh, my God, I think I know what I'm doing. So I immediately turned on the heater to see if any heat came out. Yep. No right. heat. I'd boiled it dry. Yep. Oh. So it, it, it's coughing and spluttering. I just roll into a servo. I shut it off. I, it actually kind of almost shut itself <laughs> off. Sounded like a really bad drummer in an 80s rock band. And I, and I just rolled to a stop. And uh, we, we sit there for a moment and a mate of mine was a mechanic that actually lived not too far or it turned out he was near the area, rang him and said, you better come look at this thing. I think I've done a number on it. Mm. So we get there and he goes to start it and water was blowing out of the tailpipe. Oh. <laughs> and and he, he said, mate, you have cooked She's it. Cooked. It's done. Cooked so it. I killed that Pajero. Yeah. So uh, I only tell it as a blow it out your tailpipe because I had to literally say during this dinner during the week that, yeah, water was blowing out my tailpipe and I went, oh, hello, I know. That sounds familiar, blow it out your tailpipe. So, yeah, if you are listening, don't do that. <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's worth noting if the temperature, if you do, you know, have a faulty radiator cap or you just leave it off or whatever, <laughs> if you see that needle start to get colder and colder and colder, it's, it doesn't mean the car's going so well it's not even breaking a sweat. That's a bad thing and I learned it the hard way. Engine fried. <laughs> It turned out the name for the car was right. Yeah. Pajero. Pajero. <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> uh, we're out of time. That is it for this episode. Brilliant stuff. Next month um, we are planning a little something special around the fact that we're about to turn one. We're really proud of that here on the grill and we're very grateful of the support we have from our partners, the likes of Bendix and Denso. Lots of fun planned. We've had a great first year and some good stuff in the pipeline for season two. Hopefully – Hopefully, Jeff and Shane, uh, it's going to be a good month and lots to debrief uh, in June. And uh, just one little thing, so effigy spelt E-F-I-J-Y from memory. Uh, a little bit inconclusive. Uh, I, I have to keep turning my phone off because we had guests. Um, I believe it may be still. It was. I've got a friend that said, well, it was. It was uh, in Salmon Street in Port Melbourne, oh, yeah. uh, Victoria. Mm-hmm. It was there. We think it might still be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Next next episode, we'll we'll confirm it. Yeah, we will. But that's that's where it was last seen. Good on you. On behalf of our VACC and listener teams, we will catch you next time, everybody. Bye for now. See you on the road, folks. Listener.